Orange is the New Black, Season 3, Episode 9, is over! But we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps, and we are ready to have a big ol' meeting where we talk out all the rules about the new religion we're about to found. And with me on this particular very special episode of Orange is the New Black, I have, as usual, my cellmate and co-host, Ms. Taylor Cotter. Hello, everybody. But we are also joined by a very special guest... Mr. Brendan Noel. Hello, Brendan. How are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm sort of like your podcaster for hire today. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, we're not going to sit you through like 40 hours of orientation. We're just going to throw you in and hope you'll figure it out on the fly. I think that's the, that's, that's the way to do it. You know, some people, some people sink. I'm going to try and do my best to swim. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, don't let, don't let those prisoners give you any flack, dude. No, no, I'm, uh, I'm going to try and find, uh, I think this is a good gang to roll with, I think, here. I think, uh, I think I found a good little spot for myself. Okay, yeah, you know, you just got to, you know, you just got to not, you know, talk too much or, you know, then as soon as you start talking too much, then you stop talking because everybody thinks you talk too much. It's, it's, it's a rough place to be in. <laughs> not going to insult anyone's food. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to cross anybody, get mixed up with, uh, with the wrong people. And uh, just going to, we're going to see how it goes. Good. Yeah. We have Mike Bloom, and I uh, haven't seen him since. So, <laughs> yeah. oh, poor guy, couldn't make it. <laughs> yeah, he. You know, I, I last I saw, he was stealing the prison van. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. So I guess we got a lot of newfound cult figures. This episode is sort of the theme we're going with here. Um, Norma's religion is starting to take shape, which is very strange. Yeah, it's become kind of, it's literally like the cult of Norma, and she's become just kind of this, like, silent mentor for all the girls. That's exactly what I've written in my notes, the cult of Norma. It's a very uh, strange thing to see uh, take hold, but it's also very powerful in a way. I mean, you can see the the effect that it's having on people like Leanne and Pousset. And and I don't know. I mean, I certainly don't know what it's like to be in, in prison. And, and, you know, as far as anybody knows, but I... It, it seems like this is a believable thing that would happen is, is just you, you're looking for anything to, to hold on to. And, and, uh, it's been an, an interesting development, certainly. Yeah. I'm surprised that Norma has seen like all the good and all the bad that a cult has to offer. I'm surprised she's going along with it quite as much as she is. Well, Norma loved the cult. Like Norma, weirdly enough, like I don't think except for, you know, that one isolated incident, like didn't really have a bad experience with her cult past. So, like, you know, we talked about how she stuck with it when all those other people left and she was into it. So I guess building cults is kind of her jam. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, like the way that people are are glomming onto her and really praising her. And of course, she doesn't say anything, but we see, you know, in her, her facial reactions and her body language, she she kind of loves the attention she's getting. And I don't think this is anything like what she's had before. And and even though, you know, like you said, she's she's seen the kind of terrible ramifications of cult before, so it's it's a little bit of her ego taking over, maybe. Yeah, I would say beatific is the word I would use to describe Norma's facial expression in this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. Yeah. So it, it is kind of, it's going a little further than I thought it was going to go, though. Like, I could get that people found her a calming presence and could go to her with their problems, but I'm surprised there's actual rules in place now. I think, like, my, anything that goes on uh, in this prison, they want to enact as much control 
as they possibly can. You know, Red running the kitchen could be the simplest thing in the world, but instead she's made it into her purpose. And because it's her purpose, there are so many, um, like almost bureaucracies in place because of that. So if Norma can run a religion and these people can kind of be the founding members of the religion, they're going to just grab onto that control as much as they can. Yeah, everything they have is so controlled and regulated. It's nice for these people to find something that they can totally take control in, even if it's to the point where Leanne is kind of abusing the system, where it's supposedly all about Norma, but of course she really doesn't have any input into what's going on. So um, Leanne can kind of... do as maybe she's been taught by her um, religious past and uh, and decide to exile people based on whether or not they are committing enough to this to this cult that they've formed essentially yeah let's dig into leanne a little bit because this was kind of her episode yeah who saw that coming no i didn't really um of the 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 people who've gotten flashback uh episodes so far i'd say that this is probably up there with like the characters who've had the most dialogue maybe in the first um couple of seasons although that's not really saying much if we're getting flashbacks people like norma or chang who we really haven't heard much of inside the prison let alone outside and i don't think even before this episode i really would have been able to tell you that leanne was her name even I just know her as kind of like there are those group of people who are um, sort of Red's prison lackeys, kind of. And that was kind of all I knew them as. Yeah, just the meth heads. Uh, yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty much. That's their little yeah. um, tribe, I guess. Right. Yeah, we had described Leanne and Angie as like the Rosencrantz of G- and Guildenstern of the prison this season. That they were just getting into mischief. And the fact that uh, they gave Leanne something better to do, I think, is kind of cool. Yeah, I'm sure in in every season, because I, I certainly recognize their faces and their presence going back to season one. And I'm sure that if you were to go back to the season one and, and the second season, you could probably uh, do entire episodes, sort of what's their perspective on things? What are they doing when, you know, Piper and Alex are doing things? So basically like the Lower Decks episode of um, Star Trek The Next Generation, only it's random prisoners. Yeah, kind of. And then, like Taylor said, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, sort of, yeah. presents Orange is the New Black. I think that would be kind of interesting. But that's kind of what we're seeing in this season. We're digging deeper into some of the more minor characters. And sometimes that's um, that's been good. And sometimes it sort of felt like, man, we really did run out of a lot of the, the major secondary characters in flashback episodes last season. And sometimes it feels like maybe we're, we're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel, you know. Yeah, this was a- w- oh, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> I would say that uh, uh, th- I, this was a super crazy flashback, obviously. It came out of nowhere, and we get the first half of the flashback is it's like, oh, Leanne is a drug, uh, you know, a druggy party girl. And we're just like, okay, cool. That's pretty much exactly what I expected. And mm-hmm. then, uh, then it switches to like uh, her, you know, burying her backpack and putting on like. Uh, this bonnet and like I'm like I kind of remember um, that movie The Village (laughs) oh yeah yeah (laughs) I was like is this The Village like what's going on and uh, yeah I mean I definitely didn't expect her uh, to be you know straight up Amish but that's that's what we got and she was on her uh, rumspringa yeah, that was interesting. I remember they were like, and you know, having their little bonfire, and it was yeah, sort of the stereotypical like young kids like doing drugs and like just sort of partying away from their parents, sort of for the first time. And I, some of them was one of them was saying something about like, oh, those people back there, like they don't know how good it is out here. If they knew how good it was out here, like they'd come join us too. And you don't really know what they're talking about. And then of course the revelation when she puts on her bonnet and walks by the horse-drawn carriage, and you're like, okay, 
this is not what I was expecting from a character whose name I probably could not have told you with certainty 10 minutes ago. Yeah, the first time that I started to watch this episode, I got called away right as she's putting the bonnet back on. And I, and I had like a whole day to think about this. Oh, wow. And it was kind of mind-blowing. Like, what a revelation. This is... I wouldn't put this up there with, like, John Locke is in a wheelchair kind of revelations, but <laughs> it was it was close, and it made sense, and I like that they... This entire episode is basically a callback to Leanne speaking German with Poussey in the previous episode. Yeah. That was, that was what I was going to mention, is I totally had forgotten about that, because that was very early in the season, I think, that, that we saw that. And then suddenly, we see this, and it's like, oh, right, I totally remember that. I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. Oh, that was such a clue, and I totally missed it. I think I think I certainly did. I think a lot of people did. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I wouldn't have necessarily listened to like, oh, she speaks German. She must be Amish. <laughs> like, I wouldn't yeah. have gone there. Right? Do you think that making her like is this too much? Like, is this giving like a huge backstory to a character that like maybe hasn't earned it? That's it's kind of what I've been thinking of, of, like I said, with some of the people who've been getting flashbacks this season. Sometimes I wonder, like, we're learning a lot about characters' lives outside of the prison. And in some cases, we haven't really learned a lot about who they are inside the prison. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt that's why a lot of the flashbacks from last season worked so well. is because we'd spent so much of the first season getting to know these people, people like Poussey and uh, even like Sister Ingalls last season. You know, it was always sort of a presence. And then we kind of figure out who they are whereas i feel like some of these people are there was almost like a third tier like like you said like the lower decks is now we kind of are really digging deep and i think that this is one of the better flashbacks of the season maybe mm-hmm. but i do think it's a fair point that it's it's a lot all at once for a character who is minor in the scope of the show yeah nobody had leanne on their list of who do you want to see a flashback episode from no, I think I was probably anticipating the return of some of some flashback characters. I think I would have probably predicted that we'd see another red flashback this season, you know, at some point before I before I'd go with someone like Leanne. Yeah, we'd get our third Piper flashback. <laughs> yeah. I'm clamoring for it. Ooh. Oh, can't wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh so we kinda understand that Leanne has this uh like deep tie to religion. It's super important to her. As someone, as soon as someone calls her out as being an atheist, she gets really upset and creating this religion, especially a very controlling religion that has a lot of rules and things to follow becomes super important to her in the actual prison. And we see her get mad at start to, you know, plant the seeds of getting mad at so, so for being late or being flippant about how she's trying to build this community. Yeah, total total overreaction to to her showing a blade and really starts to rail into her with some really nasty things about not being able to commit to anything, can't commit to her sexuality, to her ethnicity, and it's really rough, rough stuff. And I'm it's I was really happy that that was the moment where Poussey kind of looked at all this and said like, what have I got myself into? Like, I know I want like. Because it's been that's the that's been the interesting thing for me to follow with this storyline is its effect on Poussey. and so I like that she's sort of finding something. I haven't loved the rift it's caused between her and her her usual friends, but I did like that this was the moment where you know she had enough sense to realize like I don't really know what's going on here, and I'm not so sure about this. And she sort of has a come to tasty moment and switches to the other, to the other <laughs> table and and watches the the Judy King stuff on TV. Yeah, Poussey is kind of she's 
all things to all people right now. Like she is kind of she's kind of a floater if we were watching Big Brother, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm, for sure. She doesn't really know where she fits in and she's just sort of trying on uh, a lot of different hats and some of them are, are not working as well as she, she would think they, they would. And it's kind of interesting because she didn't really, she wasn't really sure how well she fit in with her sort of usual circle of friends. And she's now sort of taking comfort in going back there. But I, I think she's made it clear that she's still looking for more. Yeah, like I've said before, like finding where you fit in and like kind of this the sense of self seems like the real uh, narrative thread of the second half of the season. In like both, you know, this kind of deep pousse way and then kind of like lighter way, like everyone has to defend that they are Jewish. So like kind of uh, <laughs> playing this uh, identity twist on everyone's, you know, discovering themselves in one way or another. Yeah, so let's talk about the rental rabbi. Yes. That's yeah. That's that was a really really strong part of the episode. I think that the the montage where everybody is sort of trying to plead their Judaism case is mm-hmm. is a real highlight of the episode. I love that the nun is pretty much the only person who passes with flying colors. Yeah, oh, that was so funny. That was such a such a great line about how well the Abrahamic religions are kind of all the same until you mm-hmm. get to Jesus. Yep. That was a really nice touch. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, yeah, really cute, and I think like. Uh, kind of showed how hard all these girls worked uh, just to keep their average meals. Uh, Especially, I think we kind of got a wrap on Black Cindy watching all those Jewish movies. Oh, so good. I I really like that. Like, that was a, it was a funny sequence where you had the, a bunch of the women coming in and saying some some pretty ignorant things. I think Stella mentioned something kind of anti-Semitic about about oh, saving. You know, I love to I love to save money, kind of thing. Yeah. And and that's all very ridiculous. And we're meant to laugh at. I mean, the music they play in the background of that scene. It's like it's the Jewish equivalent of you know the dodo music on these reality <laughs> shows. I think so. I really like that. It yeah, it starts off with this very silly sequence, but at the end, it is kind of a meaningful conversation between the rent a rabbi and and Cindy. That was kind of interesting. Yeah, I think Cindy's starting to like. She started out as a scam to get the to get the better meal, and now I think she's kind of starting to buy into it. Yeah, I I, I you know people are looking for something to believe in in here. And I think that what turned out to be a scam to get better food is maybe setting itself up for maybe she is going to find, you know, a higher power. And this is also, I like this scene in terms of editing as well, because it it ends with her saying, you know, the rabbis basically told her like, you've confused pop culture with like actual religious beliefs. And she's still just like, well, did I pass? And they cut to the next scene, which is unrelated um, in the kitchen. But they, the first scene is like this, like gross slopping poured onto the tray. So I like that, like the next scene is kind of unrelated, but also starts with the answer to her question. It's like, no, is I don't think so, Cindy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're back on the, slob right and uh the fact that they brought in this rent a rabbi at all is kind of uh, another indicator of mike birbiglia's incompetence and that uh this was his solution to uh cut down on costs to make sure that these people were really jewish and uh i guess his uh his argument that any rabbi is technically for rent is fair but uh <laughs> it uh just kind of shows that he is uh he thinks a little A to B with how to solve the problems in this prison. 
Yeah, it's if we were talking in, in Jurassic World terms, I won't spoil anything, but these are the assets to him in the prison, I think, sort of like in the way that uh, the dinosaurs are to, to the, the characters in that movie. Is These are not so much people as just sort of how, how are we spending the least amount of money, although I don't really know what the cost would be to rent this rabbi for a day. I, I'm wondering how much of the budget he kind of uh, blew on that and also I think speaks poorly to the communication between him and Caputo and just everything that Caputo is doing in the prison. Well, they do have, I'm sure they have a line item in their budget for religious things. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder how much that's for though. Like, I mean, I think there's probably a difference between the cost of, you know, religious texts and, and someone's working fee for a day. I, again, I'm not familiar with any of this, so I really don't know, but yeah, if anything, like arguing prison, prison budgets is my least favorite part of the show. So uh, I think, yeah, I mean, it's dumb. Like, it just is so not, it's so like, let's just like uh, take care of the symptoms and not solve the actual problem that's going on here is that, you know, none of these women are able to eat the food that we're serving. And let's just like not, you know, take, uh, like a 40 wax on whoever is, you know, not Jewish. It seems like, you know, it's very much indicative that this guy is not thinking uh, for the long-term success of anyone here. And I think yeah. it is, it is a, it is a good sign that I think this, this was a very enjoyable episode just because we got so much less HR drama. Yes. Uh-huh. I was going to say, I completely agree that the everything about the prison administration this season has been really boring to me. And it's a nice opportunity to just sort of click on other tabs and see what's happening on Twitter or whatever. And I can kind of <laughs> listen, listen and absorb and it's like, I got it. You know, I kind of like the stuff last season with sort of tracking Fig's downfall almost. But this season, I'm really not into it. And um, yeah, Mike Probiglia is just he's just the worst. <laughs> There's literally no emotional impact of what's going on on this administrative level. Like, at least with Fig, it was a person, and what was going on there was somewhat emotional, and, like, it was still, like, business, but you could see the people behind behind it. Like, Mike Birbiglia's character is so nothing. Like, his motivations are all, like, very transparent and shallow, and, like, the thing about this show is normally even the worst characters, like you feel some sort of empathy for, or at least like are so invested in what they're doing that like you're in, uh, it's interesting. This is nothing like this. Mike Birbiglia could literally be like a stack of paperwork and it would have the (laughs) same emotional impact on this show. (laughs) It's very true. And he's, yeah, he's kind of a blank slate as a person. It's almost like he's not really acting. He's just sort of, it's like they brought in an actual prison administrator to just sort of bounce off the actors. And it's like a big improv game for this guy. Right. And like, poor thing, because he's actually like super talented. So it's a bummer. Yeah, he's very wasted. Oh, yeah. Like it's a it's clear that this is somebody who could have other things going on and like this is a cool thing for him to do. But (laughs) no, this is not going to be something that he can, you know, submit for anyone's consideration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really I really think that I would like to see more of the things that make people human, like humanize this story for me and I'm okay watching it. But right now, as it is, it's not great. 
Oh, yeah, you're exactly. trying to impress your dad. I feel so bad for you. No. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and even stuff like with the prison guards trying to sort of unionize and, and they're trying to or and get more money and, and whatever it is they're doing. Like, I just like, I don't know. I can't really get into it. It's just I like you said, I can't feel any sympathy for that corner of the show right now. Yeah, it, it's really the fact that we had less of it. I'm hoping that is a sign that we're going to continue to get less of it what i hope as well yeah yeah if this ends up at the end of the series being like a cliffhanger i'll be super upset <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i have a feeling we're not gonna be i don't think we're seeing mike Birbiglia after this season one way or another it certainly seems like he's that kind of character i've seen sort of people on twitter compare him to in a very strange way compare him to like this season's v like the the purpose is not in all uh, in the same way but no it definitely feels like that kind of one season character it's this is the storyline and probably not going to see him next year yeah and it is really in a way it's the opposite of orphan black um in that if you see a character on Orphan Black and they give them a name and they have a couple of lines, chances are they're probably going to come back in a future episode. But Orange is the New Black seasons are very self-contained in that regard. Like, you have a main character who kind of brings you through the whole arc and then they're gone. And we're going to be on to somebody new in the next season. Yeah, it's just the reality of the way that the binge watching model is set up. You know, this is one of my favorite shows on TV, and it's very weird that I really only spend one weekend out of my year thinking about it, talking about it, and watching it. And so I think they understand that, you know, outside of the sort of four minute thing they put at the beginning of the season to remind you what happened last year, they know that major callbacks earlier in the season. Um, are maybe not a good idea, even if sometimes they're warranted. Like I thought in the last episode with the Alex flashback, there was a lot of season one context that I'd forgotten about and could have could have used to uh, to catch myself up. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot of characters that we haven't seen in a really long time. Yeah, that's what this episode was pretty like. There wasn't a lot of that here, which is good. Um, what we. Uh, because Leanne is a is a main character in this episode, and it's really the first we've talked to her. Uh, the uh, all the Jewish stuff is pretty self contained. All the Berbiglia stuff is new. Uh, what we do have uh, that is, I guess, somewhat interesting is um, Lolly and Alex uh, kind of realizing their relationship, which I'm not gonna pretend I understand. Um, I, uh, last episode, I was convinced that Lolly is the mole and that she was sent there for, from Kubra. And now I feel like the show is trying to convince me that that's not the case. And I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't really either. It's a, it's a lot of red herrings in a way between what we've learned last episode and this episode. And sometimes it seems like she's just sort of quirky and misunderstood. And other times she's very deliberately looks like she's out to get Alex and, no, like I said, I don't think I'm trying to to pretend that I understand that corner of the show right now. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing in the last few episodes what exactly um, what exactly this is, who exactly she is and what she's what purpose she is here to do, because I it seems pretty clear that she is in some ways we might not know the magnitude of it, but she is some sort of threat to Alex and somebody she should be concerned about. But uh, other than that, I'm, well, I'm kind of lost. I think it's really, I think it's really interesting the way that they keep pulling us close to that realization and then pushing us away from it. It kind of replicates the paranoia that Alex is feeling. Like sometimes she thinks it's completely ridiculous and other times she 
wants to know what's going on and she is so sure that Wally is going to be the mole and end up killing her. That's a really good way to put it. I think that, yeah, there are certainly times where I've been watching and realize, and, you know, certainly they have moments where they make Laliev to seem threatening. I mean, the end of the last episode really couldn't be any more clear on the fact that this is something to be concerned about. And then there are other times where I kind of find myself looking at Lolly and I'm like, is this really the big bad like person that we're, that we're trying to be on the lookout for and that maybe Alex should be concerned about? It feels like if anybody in the prison presents themselves as as dangerous to her that i might think that she would be kind of low on the list it would almost be equivalent to like being kept up at night because you were worried that yoga <laughs> jones was coming for you yeah, yeah. Um, taylor's notes say that she was having a hard time telling yoga jones and lolly apart at some points sometimes i do i don't know why <laughs> like i and like i know that they're different but to me like those actresses are just so similar for some reason and uh I'm like, I don't, not that I can't tell them apart, but like, I kind of want them to team up or like maybe they're secret <laughs> sisters. I don't know. <laughs> I, I understand where you're coming from because uh, Yoga Jones used to, used to have a sort of shorter haircut than she did, but also like she has such the distinctive voice. She has the Patty <laughs> Mayonnaise voice that it's, it's yeah. pretty, I think it's pretty easy to tell them apart. But Lolly also has a distinctive voice. <laughs> I know they are differently distinctive. So. She's got the little yeah. sister from but, a League uh, of Their Own voice. Yeah, they're both cartoon characters in their own right. That's yeah. <laughs> the problem. Yeah, so we could talk a little bit uh, about the other main cult figure in the prison right now. Um, and that is the um, literary visionary, Miss S.R. Warren. Oh, she's doing oh, so well. I'm loving this storyline. That's so great. I love the beginning of this episode where she just kind of has her, you know, she, she's very confident stride through the prison as everyone is begging to 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 know um, what's going to happen next and wishing her well in her day ahead of writing. I thought yeah, that was really great. Yeah, she should be paying some scribes to make multiple copies of this thing if she's not already. Apparently, because later in the episode, she everyone is so clamoring for this that she kind of has to just sit around and read it to them all because nobody, nobody wants to wait. And, and exactly if the chance of, of that being ruined is seems pretty high in there, given sort of the destructive tendencies of yeah, people. Well, she's getting some groupie love, too. Yeah, we've who, seen who her a few person? times. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't sure either. It really does seem like this character appeared out of the ether to love the the erotic fiction yeah, being written by Suzanne. Well, yeah. First of all, she's another one of these, and we're gonna. I'm probably gonna rant about Stella some more in the near future. But she is another one of these characters that, like, we're meant to believe has been there all along, and we've seen her in a couple of seasons, a couple of episodes, kind of peripherally, like when Gina is leading the mystical prayer circle. We see this this woman like try to take off her clothing and dance and they're like no 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 it's just a metaphor and we see that she is lolly's cellmate and we see that you know she's kind of she's around but she's not the person in the first episode who left the no no that's a different bathroom, person is she okay. another person, person who's also no in the background a lot of the time but this character has yeah. been bumped uh-huh. up to the front i guess to have this kind of moment where she has you know, she was very much enjoying the book in the previous episode. Um, she was enjoying it with her hands, if you know what I mean. Um, and she's ready to take it to the next level with Suzanne, it seems like. Yeah. 
makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think uh, there would be a lot of people that would pursue their favorite erotic novelist have, if they had the chance. Yeah, I guess. Um... <laughs> not Maybe not me. Probably, <laughs> well, it, it seems like, the, you know, if, if the, the way she's thinking is like, well, this is the kind of stuff she can put down on paper, you know, maybe oh, what can happen in point. real life, maybe. So if. If that's what she's into, then then that's a good person to to pursue in there, I think. Yeah, I mean, of all the people that, you know, you could trust to rock your world, someone who's, like, already rocking your world on paper. Oh, yeah. Someone yeah. who's stimu- stimulating your brain like that, I think, could probably do do well stimulating some other yeah, areas, maybe. Suzanne doesn't seem like she's yeah. ready for it. Yeah, no surprise to anyone, Suzanne, uh is not comfortable with this. No, it kind of freaks her out. It's interesting that um, Suzanne started out, like the first time we met her, she was aggressively pursuing a relationship with someone else, and namely Piper. And it's surprising to me that this is the same Suzanne. That's true. Yeah, she was very, very, and I mean, I guess this is like latent within her, is that she's very, very sexual. Um but never really had an avenue to pursue it appropriately until she yeah, found Yeah, well, I guess you lady. have to wonder what would have happened if Piper had been into that. Well, yeah, I think <laughs> you, go, you go way back to that and you realize, like, she had no idea what she would be getting into any more than Piper thought she was. So I think that in her mind, you know, even given that, you know, this is a very damaged person that she thought she knew what she wanted and thought she would be in control of this relationship. But I don't think was really taking into consideration realistically the fact that this really would be a partnership, obviously, with the other person. So I think that her having a lack of control here very understandably makes her uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, it's true. And I could see this being an area of, of growth for Suzanne. Like, already, I think the writing has helped her come out of her shell a lot. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like I said, it's given her sort of a swagger she's never had before, and I'm really enjoying it. She's one of my favorite characters on the show. Yeah, and any line where they give us another peek into that story, like, I don't want to read the story, but I love knowing more about it. Yeah, I know this sort of sort of graphic conversation. A lot of them are having the the three of them are are standing around uh, outside the uh, the cafeteria and and getting into sort of the more graphic parts of the story. I thought was very funny. Um, I want to read it. (laughs) No, this is like um, actually Mike Bloom and I were wrapping up Orphan Black earlier tonight, and we bonded over the fact that we're both the kind of people that never want to watch an actual horror movie, but we will happily go online and read graphic synopses of the horror movie. And I think this is kind of the same thing. Like, I want a little peek into it, but I don't want to fully go there. It's It's kind of... Go ahead. I was just saying, like, I don't even know if it's that for me, but I just think that, like, it's funnier in this way of just sort of, like, getting little dribs and drabs and sort of trying to piece together what the what the narrative through line mm-hmm. of the story might be. I think that's just kind of amusing that this is the way they're delivering it. Yeah, that's exactly what it says. Cool. So, uh, we are... Uh, Pending uh, Suzanne. Does this um, girl have a name? I think she has a name. I want to say it's Maureen. Okay, but that's what I'll call her then. We'll, we'll go yeah, with that. I don't, <laughs> I don't know for sure, but I think I was watching it with the subtitles on. And by the way, this is a this is a oh, great okay. experience for anybody that enjoys this sort of thing. Turn on the subtitles while you watch it, and I love the little stage directions that you get 
when you watch it with subtitles. These people scoff more than anybody ever scoffed before. <laughs> like every other line, somebody like a little parenthetical scoffs. I have never turned them on, but I've heard I, from, I've heard secondhand that the the subtitles refer to Suzanne as crazy eyes, and that is offensive. Yeah, we're, we're past that now. Yeah, we've moved away from that. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, all right, let's talk. Let's talk. Um, yeah, um, this is starting to get a little bit creepy. I know. I kind of thought it was cute at first, and I'm. I am. And honestly, I still think Pensatucky is super cute and wonderful, and but the situation is getting uh, out of hand. I love Pensatucky, which if you told the, the, the Brendan who watched the show in the first season that he would love Pensatucky in a couple of years, he would never believe you. He, she's just such like, I don't know, just it's been really interesting watching her this season as just sort of... She, she doesn't really have a sort of like a greater storyline. She just kind of goes about her day. She's very content to be in the prison. She's gotten to the point where she's kind of such a good prisoner that she's teaching the new guard, the donut shop guy, that basically how to be a, a prison, a correctional officer in this episode. But yeah, I don't like where this is headed with this guy. It feels odd, this kind of relationship that they're having. I think in a weird way, she's gotten a little too comfortable and doesn't maybe realize where things are going. And... I yeah, I'm yeah. Well, Pennsylvania over and over is kind of someone that doesn't like she doesn't really take well to having her worldview challenged. She's someone who has this idea, no matter how simplistic or childish, of how of what is actually going on that it can completely throw her off when it turns out that's not actually what's going on. And I think that's what we see here when he kind of goes in for the kill. And she's like, wait a minute, I thought we were just, like, duck-feeding buddies. What the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, she doesn't really have a heightened sense of morality. Uh, so she she doesn't really think what they're doing is wrong, you know? She has no thought that, like, okay, like, we could get in trouble or I could get in trouble. Like, I think, you know, she is very childlike and, like, okay, this is a fun thing. Like, we are going to do this fun thing. And uh, I'm going to appreciate the attention. Uh, yeah, so it was very, like, I, I liked at the top when she was, uh, uh, or I, when they were in the prison, she called him <laughs> Mr. Donuts. And, like, all yeah. this kind of stuff that I'm like, you're so, you're so cute. Uh, but then he uh, really starts to lay into her with some weird, sexually aggressive Yeah, and stuff. it's like... Up until, like, every second up until that moment, you kind of see it coming and you know it's going to happen, but you just don't want it to happen. Like, you don't want them to go there. Like, why does it have to go there? Why can't they just be duck buddies? And I know it's it's duck buddies is a really great name. (laughs) Yeah, it's tragic. It's watching these two sort of and what's on the surface, a very innocent relationship, but knowing that deep down this is the kind of show where it's you know, it's not just going to stay that way. Yeah, and again, we've been exploring this dynamic off and on with several different, you know, guard-prisoner duos where you can have a friendship with the guard, like you can be on friendly terms with them, but the relationship is never going to be one where you see each other as equal human beings. No matter how much you might esteem the other person, they're always the guard and you're always the inmate. Right, and especially if that guard doesn't, have a, uh, you know, a firm grasp yeah, on that. Yeah, and we saw this with Lushek and Nikki. We've seen it with Red and Healy. And now we're seeing it with Charlie Bag of Donuts in Pensatucky. 
Yeah, a lot of a lot of terrible prisoner inmate, uh, or rather inmate uh, CO relationships on the show. Not that that's surprising, because like you said, the foundation that that's built on is always going to be uh, a really really terrible one. And and especially with a guy like this, who you can tell just doesn't really seem to enormously care about his job. He's not learning the ropes very quickly. He's just he's the donut shop guy who needs an extra buck. So yeah, he's not going to be like if you're hiring your prison guards out of the donut shop, don't expect them to be paragons of proper law enforcement techniques that's all i'm saying yeah and it's, and it's good advice yeah <laughs> thank you uh yeah so that was not good and uh kind of see some emotional impact on pensatucky a little bit um uh, i get uh, uh, i never want to talk about piper <laughs> I, piper and her fan fiction mary sue girlfriend we can spend a few minutes on it, but no, Piper obviously is is not my favorite character. But just you know, we can we can do a yeah, check in on uh, her. Well, you know, she's got this new love interest who's you know the hottest lesbian ever, and she's smart in all the right ways, and she challenges Piper in all the right ways, and Piper is going to want to she's going to be torn about should I leave my OTP girlfriend and go after this new original self insert Mary Sue character? <sighs> it it exhausts me. It's stupid. I mean, good on Piper. She's making some money with the panty business, but I do not need a new business partner for her. But they kiss at the end of the episode. Ugh, it's magical. It is not magical. It is ridiculous and fan fiction-y. <laughs> uh, can I say something that... Uh, this was something that honestly kind of agitated me in this episode about this storyline. Um, was uh, Ruby Rose is in the bathroom naked and Piper is talking to her. Mm-hmm. This is the first, like, they've used female nudity on this show quite a bit, and it's never been in an overtly kind of sexual way, like an ogling kind of way. And yeah. I felt like this was the first time it really was. And I it felt like a it male was, gaze yeah, yeah. kind of, like, yeah. look at this hot this like- chick. Yeah, and like, like a, yeah, long, long shots, all of a sudden. And I was like, what? Like, the only what thing that was missing from this here? was like a saxophone riff as the camera like dragged up her body. Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was like bad yeah. prison lesbian. It absolutely song. was. Yes. Yeah. I, I would no, imagine I totally Ruby agree. Rose is probably a tremendously talented individual who's probably very good in other things, but she does not work here. And I'm not loving anything about her except maybe her archer tattoo. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah, got an archer tattoo on her belly. Look on. Yeah, and oh, she also great. apparently cool. um, she has a tank girl tattoo on her back. And when she came onto the series, she didn't find out that she was going to be working with the actual tank girl until she got on set, and then she was very embarrassed that she had a tattoo of her on the back. Hey, don't get tattoos of anyone you don't want to meet in real life. <laughs> that's yeah. a that's a hot take. And that's <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I really hated it, and I think that this show is better than that, and I think that they had to bring in, like, a hot character, and I think uh, there's a lot of internet chatter about Ruby Rose and how hot she is, and, like, oh, yeah. there's, uh, there's honestly, there's, like, I read something on uh, BuzzFeed, I think, that was, like, m- so many girls online are, like, uh, 
here I would go gay for Ruby Rose and all stuff. I'm like, oh, sure. That's that's the whole point of this show <laughs> that has taught you like to think of all these people as more than just stereotypes and objects. And to think of like, sexuality exactly, as something you like, can just oh. kind of put on when it suits you. Like, right. <laughs> Yeah, like let's let's three dimensionalize these characters and let's like teach the audience to see them that way. And apparently, they haven't done a very good job because now now it's just you know, oh my yeah, god, I'm like she's totally so hot. Very soon. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I I think it's totally fair if you are a woman who identifies as heterosexual and you're watching the show and you see naked Ruby Rose and you're like, huh, I could probably get behind that. That's different from saying I'd totally go gay for her. You know. It's phrasing, guys. Yeah. To bring it back to Archer, phrasing. Yeah. Yeah. Phrasing. <laughs> yeah, I got the sense from that scene that, I mean, they kind of gave Piper that line about like, oh, you're very comfortable. And it kind of felt like they were trying to justify this as like something that enlightened us about the character and it did not work. It, nothing about this storyline is really yeah. working for me. Right. Uh, and then in the most expected reveal of all time, Piper and Ruby Rose kiss at the end of the episode. Yeah. yeah. I thought this was kind of a bad end of end of the episode because a, that didn't really excite me. And then like the other half of kind of the ending of the episode is Alex finding Lolly's notebook. And we kind of already like that could have been a big dramatic moment, but it already was from the episode before um, when we saw what she was writing in the book. So I got to the end of the episode and a lot of the times I do want to go on to the next one. And this was one where I was yeah, kind of like, eh, maybe like, good. It, it doesn't, it doesn't help yeah. that Taylor Schilling and Ruby Rose really don't have any chemistry whatsoever. Oh, not really at all. No. At the end when they kissed and Piper was kind of like, she like took a step back. I was like, oh, that would be interesting if Piper wasn't into this. Like, to me, that would be the interesting turn that this could take. But no, that was just Piper being Piper. Just being, you know, Yeah, well, I was thinking about my favorite way that this trope was ever subverted. Um, In the movie P.S. I Love You, which is kind of a terrible movie except for this moment at the end where Hilary Swank (laughs) and Harry Connick Jr., like they've been kind of flirting and like playfully, you know, being the friends that might be something more all movie. At the end of the movie, he goes in for the kiss and they kiss for a second and they pull away. They're like... Ew! Oh my god, it was like kissing my brother! Let's never do that again! Like, I wanted to see that happen here. That would have been great. Yeah, more more shows and movies should lean that way, but unfortunately, you know, they've learned that <laughs> love triangles sell. Not, not, not creatively us. or artistically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alright, um... I think uh, probably one of the final things that we can just gloss over, unless you guys have anything else, is... um. We are, it's a slow burn with this uh, Gloria, Sophia, son storyline. And we find out that both sons, or at least uh, Sophia's son got arrested for being yeah, a Yeah, and it turns off. out that Sophia's son kind of is the problem child in this equation, not Gloria's. Yeah, which is kind of heartbreaking to watch Sophia realize. It's it's not been the most gripping storyline. And like you said, it, it's had to be kind of extended over the entire season because you know, like I, at this point, I get the, the sense that Laverne Cox is still not a regular cast member on the show. I don't think she's going to be anytime soon. I don't think she wants to be sort of tied down to a contract. She wants to have freedom to go off and do other things. She wants to do a lecture tour at colleges and, and just be available for other things. So unfortunately, while I would like there to be some something a little deeper happening with the Sophia side of things. I understand that for now, maybe this is all we can get. Um, and 
it has yeah it has been a really really slow burn watching the stuff with uh sophia and mendoza on the reaction of their sons and maybe it's being set up for something bigger in the last few episodes but as of right now it it has tiny little moments where it works emotionally because you just get a peek into um the the disconnect sophia feels from her son in a number of different ways but uh as of right now it's i don't really know where this is all going yeah i think it's kind of interesting like uh sophia was really portrayed as like it's like oh transgender criminal with a heart of gold was kind of her uh, her mo yeah and uh to not take anything away from that but basically you see that like okay like sophia being who she is has an effect on her family and like it's it's kind of it's interesting to see because i and like weirdly, like I'm going to draw a very specific yeah. survivor parallel here. <laughs> I feel like this might be my audience to do so. <laughs> do you guys remember in the season finale of Survivor Caram- uh Survivor Caramoan <laughs> when uh, Malcolm tells Dawn, like, "Hey, you can't be a Mormon mother of five that stabs people in the back." I think about that all the time. <laughs> and uh, I feel like this is kind of that situation. It's like, hey, Sophia, like, we know you're great, but you can't be, you know, this, uh, like, you know, this uh, career criminal who's also a wonderful parent to your preteen uh, <laughs> son. Like, there's, there is some sort of disconnect there that has never been realized. So I think this is kind yeah. of it. Yeah, I think that it, it it helps that we're making her a complicated character because I think it would be the temptation would be very great to you know we're cat we're shedding a light on a transgender character we need to make her a saint we need to kind of beatify her or you know we might come into trouble but I think the fact that they're not afraid to give Sophia flaws I think is a really testament of strength for the show. No, I, I completely agree. Like I, one of the things I, yeah, like Taylor was saying about that, what's interesting to track is, you know, or we saw early on the kind of gross advice she gave to her son about like, well, you just finds a girl who has like no self-esteem to use as practice basically, which feels like very kind of like terrible, like masculine advice that she would give somebody. And so I think it's interesting to watch this character who she who she was who she is and who she's becoming kind of all exist in parallel and how that affects all of the relationship she has with the people who knew her pre-transition yeah 100 yeah, percent. yeah so i guess are we ready to close the book on episode nine here i, I think we've talked about the- everything yeah do we want 15 more minutes on Piper no, guys? what do you say panties, you know that gets me going <laughs> love the panty business storyline so so good yeah um if piper doesn't come back next season i don't think that's the worst thing for the show well, one thing i'll say because i haven't been on the, any of these before is that i'm i was so like i was i did not miss alex last season at all i liked that piper drifted just into the ensemble of the show you know we used her as the entry point we got ourselves in we met everybody we figured out the world it was good we're done i was terrified that bringing alex back that piper and alex were going to become the forefront of the show again and it's very nice to see that they haven't they they are sort of still among equals now and also even independently they kind of have these other storylines even if they are kind of weird things going on with lolly that we don't really understand or the piper stella stuff that we're not really into i like that they can be things independent yeah, they're of nobody's otp no which like we said it's it's nice when the show remembers that they don't need to pander to that kind yeah. of audience yeah i think it's it's better that 
the show is an ensemble show now. And, you know, the more the more people whose stories we can get to and the more nuanced portraits we can get, I think the better it is for the show. Yeah. Definitely. So where do we find everybody on the social media? Uh, you can find me at Taylor Cotter. Uh, I'm at Brendan D. Noel. Um, I've been been tweeting away about Orange is the New Black occasionally. You might see stuff on there about that. So, you know, feel free to give me a follow if you if you find yourself interested in what I'm saying. And I won't <laughs> and be Brendan, offended. What if else you're not. are you doing in the Ravis Podcast slash Poster Recaps universe? Oh man, right now, currently not much. Uh, we really don't know if King of the Nerds will be back next year, but uh, if it is, <laughs> I guess we'll be talking about that. But uh, I don't know. Everything's up in the air right now. Right now, uh, lots of other people are doing great things and I'm enjoying listening. Right. Well, we talking. have loved having you on for this episode and we would have you back anytime. Um, everybody else, you listener in listener land, um, you know where to leave your feedback by now. I think you know the drill. You can come on to postshowrecaps.com and leave us comments under the episode. You can rate and review us in the iTunes store or you can tweet at any of us in addition to the two fine Twitter handles you've heard already mine is at Haymaker Hattie and we have many many great things in the post show recaps universe for you Mike Bloom and I just wrapped up Orphan Black Um, they're doing True Detective there is a rewatch of The Wire that's currently kicking off they're covering Wayward Pines so many great things um, no matter what your TV viewing preferences are so I just want to extend one final thank you to Brendan for coming on the show with us and to Taylor for being a great co-host as always thanks so much for having me guys thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll see you for episode 10 The Animal the animals trap, trap, trap till the cages fall. The cages fall, the day is new, and everyone is waiting, waiting on you and you.